may have a seat. I swore to myself that in the second service I wasn't going to cry during that song. And once and again I failed miserably. We've all had our world go dark. We've all had plans that have gone awry. We've all had hopes that have been dashed. We've all had expectations that have been unmet. We've all had dreams that were unrealized. Even some people that we would um, that we designate as some of the most successful people that the world's ever known. If you read the biography of Stephen Jobs, the founder of Apple Incorporated, started out humbly in a garage with a couple of friends making computers, kind of starts and stops in that business, good and bad. It finally started to take off a little bit, but then there was some internal squabbling, and Steve Jobs exited the company, and... For a while, Apple went dark. Pastor and author Mark Batterson was an ambitious 22-year-old when he wrote out a 25-year strategic plan for a church plant in Chicago. I mean, I organized my day, but a 25-year strategic plan for a church plant. And he was deeply committed. He was very enthusiastic. The plan was great just didn't work. And within a short while, the church plant had failed. Rick and Debbie had been married for 35 years. He had his own business. He was very successful, made a lot of money. She decided to be a stay-at-home mom. Their kids were grown and launched. They had grandchildren they were enjoying. He flew airplanes as a hobby. They had a second home on the lake. They spent lots of time with their family. Their dreams had come true. And then Rick had an affair, and the whole world went dark. We've all had our world go dark. A person close to us dies. An accident takes place. A special relationship breaks apart. A business fails. One of our children or one of our parents begins to struggle. And our world goes dark. These Jesus followers, they had placed all their hopes in him. They had chosen to follow him as a teacher. And when you did that in their day, when you chose to follow one teacher over the other, you were choosing to follow him at the exclusion of everyone and everything else. And those who were closest to Jesus, those 12 that we know as disciples, that we call the disciples, those 12, they were followers of this particular rabbi. They wanted to think the way that he thought. They wanted to see the world the way that he saw it. They wanted to um, exhibit the behaviors that he exhibited every single day. At the exclusion of every other teacher, all their eggs were in the basket of this man that they knew as Jesus. And they left everything behind to follow him. 
meaning little businesses that they had owned, even if it was just being a fisherman. The towns where they grew up, the families that they knew, everything that offered their comfort and security for their life, they left behind to follow Jesus. And then in only a few short days, their world went dark. In one tragic week, Jesus is cheered as he comes into town. But before long, he is tried and beaten in the public square and finally humiliated and hung on a cross. And the world went dark literally when he breathed his last breath. It was a fitting symbol for Jesus' followers. Filled with grief and burdened with the heaviness of loss, it was appropriate that the first visitors to the tomb of Jesus Christ arrived when it was more dark than light. For them, the darkness of Friday afternoon had carried over to Sunday morning. They they didn't know exactly what to expect, but they knew what not to expect. And what not to expect was exactly what they got. The two Marys arrived at the tomb. There was an earthquake. And then an angel appeared, not exactly what you'd expect. And if that wasn't enough of a surprise... The angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Now, that story is so familiar to us that we kind of read it as a matter of fact. But, But place yourself in the shoes of those two Marys. They were expecting to find an undisturbed tomb, a stone still covering it, wondering how they'd ever get it to move so they could give Jesus a proper burial. They were not expecting an earthquake and an angel. And when the angel said, he is not here, he has risen, as he said, they had to wonder, what do you mean he's risen? What do you mean he's not here? What do you mean a resurrection? But that news changed everything. What what had been a world that had gone dark and become depressing, a world without hope, was now completely transformed for them. And they found out over the course of the next several days that it was true that Jesus had risen from the dead. He made several appearances. He had defeated death. And if Jesus could overcome death, What couldn't he overcome for them? Plans that have gone awry, hopes that have been dashed, expectations that have been unmet, dreams that have been unrealized, were suddenly a thing of the past. Everything was different now because of the resurrection of Jesus. Steve Jobs came back to Apple Computer. And after several more years... It became the iconic company that we know that it is today. Mark Batterson's 25 year strategic plan for a church plant in Chicago 
<coughs> failed after only a few years. With nothing to lose, he and his wife packed up everything they owned in a little U-Haul trailer and attached it to the back of their car, and they drove to Washington, D.C., not for a job. They drove to plant another church. <laughs> Even though they had failed miserably with their 25-year strategic plan, they still drove to plant another church because they believed in the resurrection. And church planting is horribly difficult, especially if you go to a town where you know no one, and maybe in a, in a cynical town like Washington, D.C., it's even harder. But, but they worked at it, and, and they gathered together a congregation, and they had about 50 people who met every Sunday in a school that they rented from Washington, D.C., and they felt like, wow, we're finally, we're finally making something happen. God is finally using us. It's finally coming alive, and then they received word from the Washington, D.C. public schools that their school had been sold, was closing, and no longer available for rental. And Mark recorded in his journal that day, I feel like we're being cornered. It seemed as if, once again, things were going to fail. And they were desperate for a place to meet, and he went everywhere there was to go in town, including Union Station, the train station, the central train station in Washington, D.C. And lo and behold, there was a theater there, and he asked if they could rent the theater. And, and that's how National Community Church continued. It started in, in this public school. <laughs> Mark, am I not telling the story right? Am I... <laughs> I told it well in the first service. Maybe you want to go back to that. Maybe I was telling it so good the devil didn't want you to hear it. Oh, you take something better than that to throw me off. I mean, I can take my own diversions. I don't need any help. So they started this church at Union Station in Washington, D.C., where tens of thousands of people passed every single Sunday when they worshipped. And now there are seven locations for the National Community Church in Washington. They bought a house that used to be a place where drugs were sold out of, and that's their coffee house where they minister to the community and serve as a witness. At one point, their plans had gone awry. Their dreams had been unrealized, their hope was lost, and yet Mark persevered because of the resurrection hope that came through his Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He learned a valuable lesson that, that what appears on the surface from a human perspective to be a failure and could even be seen as hopeless can be transformed by the resurrection power of Jesus Christ, and darkness can become light. Rick's affair was like dropping an atomic bomb into the lives of he and Debbie. Their dream life was now a nightmare. Debbie was hurt and devastated. Rick was full of guilt and shame. But they were both committed to saving this marriage somehow. And that commitment, coupled with prayer and counseling and the support of a Christian community, over time, 
allowed them to rebuild that relationship. You see, resurrection hope brings hope to the hopeless, allows dreams to be rekindled, puts together shattered plans and relationships. All things are possible through Christ who gives us strength. And that's what we celebrate today, right? The hope of the resurrection. Jesus was dead and now he's alive. Things can be transformed and changed. That's what we celebrate here today. That's the story we want to remember. That's the story we recite on every single Easter. And and we stop the story there. What more would you want to do than to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ? But that's not where the Easter story ends. We stop short. We give up too quickly. There's a little more to the story than that. Matthew continues. To Mary and Mary, the angel says, Go quickly and tell his disciples, He has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. And there you will see him. Now I have told you. The story wasn't over with the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The story wasn't over with the empty tomb. There was an assignment that followed. Go quickly and tell the disciples. Now now you might wonder, why would they have to be told to do that? I mean, wouldn't that be good news? Wouldn't we be excited to share such a thing that, that the tomb is empty? Well, maybe not. The story sounds a little ludicrous, does it not? A little far-fetched. Kind of unbelievable. And even within a few hours, there was an alternate story about what had really taken place to counteract whatever these women might say. The assignment that was given to these women was unusual. Not just because of the news of a resurrection, but because to whom the assignment was given, women. We have to understand that in the first century, women had no status in society whatsoever. They rarely spoke to men in public at all. And they certainly wouldn't be entrusted with a message this important, especially if you wanted it to be believed. The messengers were as radical as the message. The messengers were transformed by the message themselves and their status was transformed by the message as well. They weren't religious leaders. They weren't disciples of Jesus Christ who followed closely behind him. Women were the first to preach the good news of the gospel of a resurrected Savior. It wasn't common news like it is for us today. It was uncommon. So uncommon that Peter and John couldn't believe what had happened. So they had to race to the tomb to see it for themselves. The resurrection was a reality. And this news had to be shared. In the last appearance that Jesus made to his disciples, he said, Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely as I am with you always, even to the very end of the age, go and tell other people this story. Don't keep it to yourselves. 
In fact, when the Apostle Paul writes to the church at Corinth about the resurrection of Jesus Christ, he says, this is of first importance. No other message, nothing else that you do as a Christian community, no other thing in your life that you think might be more important that you give priority to, nothing else. This is of first importance. The resurrection of Jesus Christ, because everything else follows behind it. In Acts chapter 10, Peter is following the instructions of Jesus. He's sharing the story of Jesus' life and death and resurrection with an unusual audience. These are non-Jews. These are Gentiles. He's in Caesarea. He's at the home of Cornelius. And if you go back and read Acts chapter 10, I think you'll find that you'll be not that impressed with what Peter says. He doesn't dazzle anybody with his oratorical skills or come up with complicated theology or great doctoral stances to convince people that Jesus was a risen Savior. He simply tells the story of the life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And in that speech, he says, Jesus commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. He, he commanded us to preach to the people. I mean, it's possible that Jesus knew that we would be reluctant reporters of this news. I mean, why else would he have to command us to share, to share the story? I mean, we love sharing things with people, right? I mean, how many of you are on social media? It's okay to raise your hand in church. It's okay to admit you're on social media. I'm on social media. Social media. <laughs> Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, whatever else that we use. Social media, right? What do you do on social media? You share your life with people, right? I mean, you, last night I saw pictures of what someone was having for dinner. I was so fascinated. <laughs> you share pictures of your family. We share pictures of a baseball game. We share pictures of our shopping trip. We share pictures, you know, we check in from where we are, arenas or basketball courts or shopping malls or whatever the case might be. You know, I, sometimes I look at my Facebook thing and I'm going, I, I think these people forgot that, that they friended me because I'm not sure they want to share that with me. <laughs> Maybe they do. I mean, we share everything. I mean, we, in fact, we share so much that now we're worried about oversharing. Oh, don't overshare. I saw, okay, so spring break, right? People were on spring break, and they couldn't help. They had to share their spring break with me, which I appreciated. You know, they're in a sunny climate. It's obviously warm. There's blue water, white sand, swimming pools. There was a picture one person shared of simply their feet hanging off the end of a chase lounge with a pool in the foreground. My view for the week. What, of your toenails? I needed to know this. But we love to share. 
We don't like to really share about our faith. You know, there's a fear factor in sharing your faith. I mean, you know, some people are going to be kind of offended by what we might share, or they're going to ask questions that we can't answer, or we're going to get into some kind of argument about it, or they're going to deride us because of our faith. And you know, I mean, we bought into this idea that you should never talk with anybody in a polite conversation about politics or religion. Just don't do that. Which is why people cringe when they ask me, well, what do you do for a living? And I tell them, they go, oh. Peter and John were arrested, put on trial, and placed in prison for sharing the gospel. And it wasn't by public authorities, it was by the religious leaders, which I find humorous in itself. And they had every reason to be afraid for their lives. And yet when Peter and John were told to cease and desist talking about Jesus and this far-fetched story of the resurrection, they said, we cannot help but speaking about what we have seen and heard. We can't help ourselves. We have to share this with other men and women. In almost every book that he writes, in almost every speaking engagement that he has, Mark Batterson talks about his failed church plant in Chicago. It didn't work. I was a failure. He shares the discouraging news about their setbacks in Washington, D.C., but he always ends with the hope that God continues to provide through the power of the resurrection in his life and his ministry. Now I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to walk out on a limb because I only got a few more weeks to walk out on limbs, so I'm going to do it. I'm going to guess that sometime in the next 24 to 48 hours, someone's going to ask you this question in some way, shape, or form. They're going to ask you, so what did you do this weekend? Or they're going to say, how was your Easter? Man, it was 80 on Saturday. That was great. A little windy, but it was beautiful. And we got together with our family. We did some things outside. It was a wonderful weekend. It was great. What if one of the first things you said was, on Easter Sunday, the first thing we did as a family is we went to church. Because we believe and celebrate a resurrected Savior. And it was a great experience. I mean, we had handbells, and we had a choir, and we had horns, and we had a band, and the music was great. The singing was inspiring. There was an awesome prayer. The preaching was mediocre. The rest of the whole thing... <laughs> You know, one of my theories about ministry is you can dress up an awful lot of bad preaching with good music, amen? I mean, that's what I say. Yeah. Don't agree so quickly, Andy. What if the first thing we shared about our weekend was about worshiping our Lord and Savior Jesus? It's the first thing that we did because it's the thing of first importance in our life. And Jesus was beaten and crucified and buried. And under the cover of darkness, they went to the cemetery and they discovered that the tomb was empty. 
He is risen. He is risen indeed. We can't help. We can't help but share this good news. Will you pray with me, please? God in heaven, we give you thanks for who you are. And simply by saying that phrase, we give you thanks, it seems a bit trite compared to the power of what we celebrate here today. We pray for anyone in this room, in this moment, who might be experiencing some level of darkness in their life, that you will give them a glimmer of hope. For others, we thank you for bringing light into our darkness. Give us, O oh Lord, an inspiration to share the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that he is risen. He is risen indeed. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. And our response to that is to say thank you. And we give our gratitude and express our gratitude through our tithes and offerings. Let us continue to worship God together.